You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 356. Hey, hey, and hello, everybody. We are the Family Gamers. As always, I'm your host, Andrew, and I am joined by my lovely and wonderful wife, Nitra. That's me. <laughs> I'm very excited to be back doing this again. You know, with the gap thing that we started, I don't know, whatever, six episodes ago, like, I really find myself very excited to get behind the microphone. So I'm glad to be here tonight. Yeah. And our topic tonight is we're going to get back to our age-segregated lists. Yeah, but- those have been super popular, so um, I'm really glad to get back to this because I want to make sure that we fill in the gaps. But this one's going to be a little bit different. It is. And we'll talk about that in the second half of the show. We will. First half of the show, we have a couple things that we like to cover. But Anitra, I noticed that while I was busy working today... You went ahead and took my job. I did, slacker. I found a fact (laughs) for 356. You found two facts. I did. Well, like you, neither one of these was terribly interesting, but I like the combination of the two of them together. You know, just like a good married couple, we're sharing the struggle together, and I appreciate that. (laughs) So anybody who's a car nut, if they hear 356, might think of the Porsche 356. What's notable about the Porsche 356? Well, two things. It was the first model of car that basically was an actual car you could drive that the Porsche company sold. Second of all, it was replaced by the now much better known and much more popular Porsche 911. Got it. The Porsche 356 was retired in 1965. Okay. So you don't see very many of them around anywhere. But here's the kicker. My other uninteresting fact ties into this (laughs) remarkably well. I mean, kind of. What happens if you leave your 356 in a public place? In Montana, specifically. Well, in Montana, uh, the state code, Title 61, Chapter 8, Part 356, is all about how any car left for 48 hours on public property is then considered abandoned. Which is no good. You never want a 356 or 356. That would be very unfortunate. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't do Don't that. do that. Yeah. All right. Well, if you took my job, Anitra, I'm going to take yours. Well, fine. And I am going to bring you a message from our sponsor. Of course, the Family Gamers Podcast is sponsored by First Move Financial. And First Move wants everyone to know that having a successful financial life isn't complex, but it does require discipline. So here are some basics. Number one, create a budget. Track your income and expenses to understand where your money actually goes. Cut unnecessary spending and prioritize savings. Number two, build an emergency fund. Life is unpredictable. Save at least three to six months worth of expenses in case of unexpected emergencies. Obviously, that can sound like a lot. Start small and build it up. Hard, but totally worth it. Mm -hmm. Number three, pay off high interest debt. By the way, this is the order in which you should do these things. (laughs) Tackle debts with the highest interest rates first to reduce financial stress and save on interest payments. Number four, invest wisely. Start early if you can. 
Diversify your investments and don't fall for get-rich-quick schemes. Compound interest will work wonders over time. And finally, educate yourself. Stay informed about personal finance. Knowledge is power. Remember, small steps today lead to big financial gains tomorrow. If you want to talk to someone about the finer points of any of these steps, or you just need help getting unstuck in your situation, whatever step you might be on, go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to set up a time to talk today. Thanks again to First Move Financial for sponsoring the Family Gamers podcast. All right. Well, Anitra. Yes. Very exciting. Yes. It's time for a whole bunch of talking about what we've been playing. Yeah. Uh, so we wrapped up the month of September by going to our favorite local <coughs> convention. <laughs> I mean, Q's it wasn't gone. really a wrap up of the month of September. It was the week before yeah, the end of yeah, September. But, you know, we'll call it the wrap up. And it was excellent. QsCon is a great experience. And if you live within easy driving distance of Syracuse, we highly recommend it for the future. There are some people who fly in for it because it is that kind of excellent and amazing convention. Very small, very intimate, but big enough that you can always find somebody to play games with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it really, it has a special vibe, right? Like, we've been to lots of conventions, and there's a reason why we make this convention that's like 275 <laughs> miles away from our house our local convention. It just really is special. Mike, the guy who runs the convention, does an incredible <laughs> job. We call him Googs. We, we love him. He's great. Yeah. So let's actually start by doing the monthly report. Do you want to go right there? September. You want to start with the monthly report? I do, and then we can talk about diving into a couple of games in particular. Okay, we're not going to talk about everything that we played. At no, we played too much. Yeah, it's really funny. If you look at my games played trending list thing, there's like the foothills and then there's this giant oh, mountain. Oh, giant mountain. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. On the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. Yep, it's yep. great. Nonetheless, my uh, my September was still awful with only 17 games played. My H index is one, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> my H index is one. Are there any games you played more than once? Oh, yeah. I mean, Unpublished Prototype, I played five times. <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of prototyping of my game. Anitra, do you think it's like about time I actually told people about what this game is? Um, I think go through another round or so before okay. you, before you All right. reveal. All right. All I'm going to say is I played it with a publisher. And you played it with a bunch of designers who ripped it apart. Who tore it to pieces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was it was fun. And we played a whole bunch of unpublished prototypes that were not mine as well yes. uh, during the whole QsCon experience. A lot of fun. Some of them have been signed. Some of them have not. But I'm really excited to see some of those uh, get a little bit closer to release. I'll say that. You know what? You're you're a liar because we played Mind Space together oh, twice. We did. We played it month. last night. I forgot that one. I didn't put that one in. I'll put it in right now while you talk about Mind Space. Okay. Do you want to do you want to talk about Mind Space or do you want to leave that for um uh, you know, we'll leave later. that for when we actually dive into the games. But okay. your H index is two. Okay, my H index is two. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm a liar. My H index is three, uh, because I don't count unpublished prototype, but I still made it to an H index of three. Can you make it not count that one? Uh, I don't know. I just, I look at it and go, no, that doesn't count. And I look further down. And you recalculate your H index on the fly. You're amazing. I mean, it helps that the app puts it in order of how often something was played. (laughs) (laughs) But I played a total of 36 unique games, not really counting the various prototypes, a total of 64 times. In September. Good grief. I played a lot of games at QsCon. I am a loser. 
with an H index of three, my games that I played at least three times were Naturopolis, which I finally learned. I've had it sitting <laughs> around for a little while. Mindspace, Junk Drawer, and Forage with a total of 12 times played. Yeah, that's a lot. That is a lot. I mean, Forage is a under 10 minute solo game, and I really wanted to play it a bunch to be able to put out a video preview for it, which came out last Friday, and you should totally go watch that video. Mm -hmm. I think I like it better than Grove. (gasps) (sighs) I think that's probably about all we have interesting to say about the monthly report. Yeah, mine is really exceptionally depressing. Like I said, you know, over the course of the 21st through the 25th was like 12 of my 19 games in the entire month, which is extremely depressing. It's been a busy month. Has been a busy month. Hey, don't get into upper management, kids. It gets busy and you can't play games. Also, teenagers make your life That is also true. Yes. Don't have teenage children, kids. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... If you can warp past that part, they're actually easier when they're younger. Wait a minute. Anyway. Teenagers are great. Yes. They just come in a season of life where everything gets real busy. All right. Uh, you want to talk some more about some games, like in particular? I do. So okay. let's start with Mindspace, since sure. I had to remind you that we. Oh played Oh my this gosh! Game. Remind me that you play ha, Mind. Ha ha ha! Yeah, right, sure. So Mindspace is a game that was just recently put out by All Play as part of their Small Box series, but it did not take very long looking at the rules and stuff for me to say, "Hey, wait a minute! This sounds really familiar." It is actually a re-implementation of a Japanese game that I got to play a year and a half ago at PAX East. (laughs) There are a few things about the re-implementation I don't love, but they did an amazing job of putting these same mechanics and ideas in terms that make sense to a American or English-speaking mind. Uh, The original game was something about laying down tatami mats in a tiny little, like, apartment. Okay. But it was still like Mindspace does, but it was still supposed to represent all of the different things you do in your life, like your hobbies and your friends and uh, your finances and stuff like that. And so that seemed weird, but I liked the the puzzly nature of it. And I came back to it a couple of times at that PAX East. Mm. This version, Mindspace, literally just gives you a big square thing representing your brain <laughs> and all of the tiles still represent finances and self-improvement and romance and things like that. This is your brain on rolling rights. But you're fitting it all into (laughs) your brain and trying to minimize the amount of empty space in Uh your brain. So what did you think of this? It is a weird tile Uh, placement game. Yeah. So, I mean, I could tell the tale of the tape, which is that we played this last night and then again this morning. So last night you won. I screwed up a bunch of rules, basically, and you beat me. Uh, and then this morning, I had a much better understanding of the rules, and I obliterated you. Obliterated um, is strong. You I did, mean, you didn't beat me. I mean, what was the score? Like sixty-seven to forty-two or something like that. That's pretty bad. Sixty-seven to forty-seven. Okay, you're right. That is that is pretty bad. <laughs> I, I anyway repent. So, I mean, you don't have to. It's fine. It's fine. Um, so this is a polyomino roll and write, and guess what? I usually am pretty okay at those kinds of games. It's <laughs> you don't say. pretty much right in my wheelhouse. And, you know, again, once I kind of figured out the rules, I was fine. So in this game, you have these 
whatever, four or five different colored markers that you are coloring things like there's these shapes that you kind of draft dice from. It's not really drafting because anybody can do it, but you have these these options and you draw these shapes on your mat in the color of the die that was, you know, rolled and then placed on that shape in that slot of the tableau. I know that sounds very confusing, but it's fine. It's just a puzzle. And you're trying to work the polyominoes together to score the most points. There's three kind of first person gets the most points, second person gets less point kind of like public goals. And then each of the different colors scores in different ways. And I mean, it's a perfect information game. You Mm kind of can put yourself in a situation where you have multiple paths to victory. It's actually not a perfect information game. It's a open information game. You mean because the dice change? Not just the dice, but you're flipping out the cards and you don't know what shapes are going to come next. Okay, sure. You're right. It's an open information game. But anyway, you can plan multiple ways that you can leverage the cards on the next turn. So there's five shapes out and you know which one is going to fall off and you know which four are going to remain. So as long as you figure out a way that you've got multiple ways that you can play at least two of those shapes, you're going to be all right. So as long as you can plan two or three turns ahead with some contingency, you can do really well at a game like this. And I can do that. And so consequently, guess what? (laughs) Yes, you can. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. So the rules are weird, but it is good. I do like the game itself, even if it's a little bit on the odd side. And I can understand how, even though it doesn't really seem like it, it would be something people would care about, how people could find writing on someone's brain to be like an off-putting like feeling or concept. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I get that, but I don't know. It was fine. I think I, I still like the the weirdness of it. I think there's something kind of charming about the idea that these various shapes you're putting down represent like having friends or doing hobbies or one of them I think is called like personal improvement or self-improvement. And then there's another one with finances and both self-improvement and finances. They're not that interesting in terms of like how they score and what and whatnot. But you really need to have both of them. Yeah. I mean, I actually really like that the way self-improvement works is it's a highly negative or lowly negative, whatever. It's an, it's an extreme negative. But as you invest in it, it becomes less of a negative. Right. So it's not like you're getting better and better. It's that you're maintaining yourself better and better, which I actually like thematically that you're getting less bad. Yeah, you're getting less bad. Right. (laughs) It's like you're an American. You're fat. Get less fat. Right. (laughs) Like that's kind of the way that that's being said. And I I don't know. I like that. I actually like that. I think that makes sense. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, so this is from All Play. It's a small box game. It won't really fit in a purse because even though it's a small box game, it's pretty chunky in that way. Um, uh, it's it's like there are other small box games like uh, like Big Top yeah, and Big stuff Top, where yeah, it's yeah. it's small, it's compact, but yeah, it's almost a cube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we also got Chomp in for review at the same time. This is a Clarence Simpson game. He mentioned it when he was on the show, I don't know, a couple of months ago now. So I'm excited to play that too. The one thing that you... <laughs> drew out of uh playing uh mindspace that you really didn't care for was that you didn't feel like the whiteboards erased well yeah i don't know if it's the markers or the whiteboards but it annoys me that at the end of every game i'm like oh let's go find a paper towel because these aren't going to get clean with the yeah erasers. i mean i just feel like they need a little bit of elbow grease but i will say the markers are great like they're high quality markers you know we have a set of the colors that everybody has to share so if you think about it like that, that means that, you know, I've played two games of this, you've played the same two games, plus a third game, 
So that means that you've got four or five games worth of use on these markers for for two people, right? So they're going to get used pretty harshly. And so far, they've held up. We'll see how that goes. But like the orange is a nice, bright orange. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, all the colors are nice and I bright. like the colors a Even lot. Even the black, it's a real solid black. Yeah. So I just think it takes a little bit of elbow grease to erase the boards. I think the first time we played, we really filled in the polyamonos. And now we're just kind of like, it's a, it's the polyamino. And then like enough markings inside so you knew what the color was just in case yeah, you were writing over something. the lines on the edges yeah. or something like that. But I don't know. I think it's fine. The game's not going to totally blow anybody away, I don't think, but I think it's a nice little twist on a rolling rate like this without making it completely foreign. That makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So, like, this is very different from a game like um, Fiverr Findin', which is a similar, like, board-wise, there's a lot of similarities there, but theme-wise, it's extremely different. Very, Those are two different games that, although they have a ton of similarities, if you like that kind of roll-and-write, flip-and-write style game, I think those two actually complement each other really well. Yeah, I think you're right. So that's Mind Space from All Play. All right, next game I want to talk about is a game that we played at QsCon. This is a game that we brought with us. It's from Artana Games, and it's First in Flight. So this is a deck-building game themed around the race to be the first successful powered flight. Everybody talks about the Wright brothers. Not too many people other than like historians of flight talk about all of the other people who were trying to do the same thing at the same time. Mm -hmm. So we all know about Kitty Hawk. Yeah. But anyway, so in this game, you are kind of marching around this loop on the board and there's, it's very... Uh, Tokaido style, where you can kind of pick how far you want to go, and then you take that action, right? So if you think Tokaido, you've got the right idea with first in flight. And really what you're trying to do is you're trying to harden your deck by adding a lot of these, I don't know, basic flight cards, because you know that when you do get the opportunity to fly, things are going to go wrong. So you're trying to fly as far as you can, because at the end of a round everybody's going to get money based on who flew the farthest, right? So, like, whoever's first is going to get X, and whoever's second is going to get Y, and third is Z, et cetera. And one of the two endgame conditions, uh, one is just a certain number of rounds, but the other way you can end the game is when somebody actually manages to fly a distance of 40. So if you can make your flight go 40 units, then everybody else is going to get, like, one more chance, and then the game's over. So... You really do. You're always pushing to see if you can fly a little bit further than the last time. Yeah. So the way the game works is when you get to a flying space, take your deck, you shuffle your deck, and you start flipping off the top. And basically, it's push your luck. You can only suffer a certain number of, of like damage cards before you are forced to land. And if you're forced to land, you're pretty much done, right? And then when that happens... The damage cards can go into your garage and you can pay to fix them, which means you kind of discard them and put less bad damage in your deck. You never actually can get rid of the damage. You can only get certain cards that allow you to mitigate it. Basically, you take damage cards that don't do anything else bad. They're just damage and nothing else. So you end up just really wanting to fill your deck because that's the only way that you're going to be able to get past this stuff. You just want to stuff it with these special fly cards or hire a bunch of... Uh, mitigating people. Friends and technology and things, yeah. And that's kind of the game. 
the thing that I really didn't like about this game is that whenever you do almost anything with your deck while you're in flight, you then shuffle your deck. And so, like, there's a bunch of cards that will, like, let you look at the next four cards and do some planning, and then you shuffle your deck. So it's very silly. Like, it, it really feels like, at the end of the day, there's just too much luck involved in the process, especially when you consider that these guys were following the scientific process, right? Like, yes, yeah. certainly, if they're taking chances on certain types of advancements or whatever, like, there's a little bit of luck involved with regards to that. But, like, when you're in the air, you know, you've got your ability to mitigate certain things. It's not all luck. Like, these people are, you know, experts in their field, and they're following the scientific process. And so it was a little frustrating that you would do something and then just, like, okay, by the way, re-randomize everything that just happened. And you're like, what? I don't, what, what? You know, so that part of it, theme-wise, I really didn't care for. Yeah, there were a couple of balancing issues as well, um, where, I mean, in, in the end, the game was nicely balanced, but there's a difference between a game that is well-balanced, like everyone ends with close scores, versus a game that feels balanced. And I think every one of the people at our table had time where they just felt like they couldn't do anything, you know, they had no options, and the game was really frustrating. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's, you know, that's the thing that you want to avoid, right? You want fun, not frustration. Right. And so when you're like, oh, well, bad stuff happened to me. Oh, well, I can't do anything about it. Like, that's not a good feeling. And, you know, that was definitely something that we struggled with. I, obviously, we're going to play the game a few more times before we write the review to see if it was just a kind of a situational thing. But that was my biggest concern, I think, with the game. I mean, I ended up winning. So, like, I'm not going to complain too much. But, you know, that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, that's that's our first impression. Yep. Yep. So that's first in flight from Artana. And then we have another review game that you got a chance to play and I didn't. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about Horrified Greek Monsters? Yeah. So this is the newest game in the Horrified series. So there's the regular Horrified Universal Studios and then there's Horrified American monsters or american i think it's legends american or something like that yeah uh this is the latest one it is greek monsters so i played this we played this at five players so it was a pretty full board wow yep and you know i really liked this one because i mean it's just a little bit more exotic i guess exotic seems to be the right word i think this is why we didn't get the american monsters one because it's just like oh no it's bigfoot blah 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 you know what i mean it just didn't feel like uniquely special yeah. or whatever i don't know um so in this one i mean look the formula is tried and true so they didn't really change a whole lot but obviously every person is a little bit different so all the different people have their own special power so my special power was whenever the threat thing or whatever it's called you know when someone dies or you know something like that yeah. whenever that goes up i get to draw an extra like god power card basically which is kind of nice because it meant i'm gonna get five more god powers than anybody else and the god powers are these like discard this card to do this amazing thing kind of cards okay uh we played against the minotaur the basilisk and uh cerberus oh yeah and i remember seeing cerberus on the yeah, board yeah, when yeah, i walked yeah, by. Yeah, yeah yeah so um all of them have layers, so you have to go to all of the lair locations. They're face down, 
and then you have to like flip them over and maybe you have to pay something to flip them over but it all of the layers are on the board so like you might flip over the layer for a monster that you're not playing with in the game so okay well now you know where that is but you've now wasted the turns to flip that thing over um so you have to figure out the three layers for the monsters and you then have to do whatever the thing is as the win conditions on the monsters before you can defeat the monsters and then you know kind of move on so all of the other stuff like normal happens there's npcs that show up you have to guide them to certain locations like all that stuff if you Mm -hmm. looked at the greek monsters board you'd be like that's a horrified board you know what i mean like it looks like one it's got all the same iconography largely so yeah so the minotaur was cool because you had to pay a certain like discard a certain number of cards to get a maze token and the maze tokens were all essentially a puzzle and so as you you know got them you would put them in different like in these places on the minotaur's board but if you didn't put them in place you then would have to pay more to move the maze tokens around so that they actually solved the maze and once you solve the maze then you could pay a certain number of you know points in colored cards to actually defeat the minotaur so that was mm-hmm, pretty cool mm-hmm. with cerberus you had to go to the lair and then you had to pay the cost and then roll the dice and if you got the right combination of dice there were like four or five different combinations of dice on Cerberus's board. So for each one that you got, you would cross off that combination. So there's a ton of randomness involved there too. So it's not deterministic anymore because you might pay and then roll and just not roll what you want. And you're constantly going back and forth and trying to, you know, solve all these problems to get Cerberus, which kind of makes sense if you think about fighting a monster with multiple heads, right? You're you're constantly going back and forth and, you know, whatever. The Basilisk, I don't remember what we were supposed to do for the, I just don't remember at all. But uh, we didn't win at all. We died before anything happened, really. Um, we, we started off really badly. We, you know, suffered like two or three deaths in like the first two turns, uh, which raises that marker at the, uh, yep, at the top. It. And it just we were just behind immediately. Right. So that was super hard. But um, the game was fun. We had a, a really good time playing it. We bounced all each other's powers off of each other, just like you're supposed to do in Horrified. If you like the horrified system, if you like Greek stuff, I definitely think this is a great one. It adds a little bit of complexity, but not so much that you're just like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on. So horrified Greek monsters, good stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to playing more of that. We are going to need to play a bunch of that and try all of the monsters so we can be ready to review it. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And I am totally game to do that. All right. All right. Do you want to talk about uh, one of these games that I did not play? Yeah, well, so these are two games that one has been out for a while uh, but they're both games that I've been meaning to learn and play, and I got an opportunity to at QsCon. Uh, the first one is Space Base. I happened to mention to somebody I was playing games with, I'm like, yeah, I've just never gotten around to learning Space Base. I've heard good things about it. And the next day he had set it up, and like when he saw me, he was like, oh, hey, over here, I have this all set up and ready. I was like, oh, okay, let's play then. Space Base is great. Space Base is... is the same basic ideas as Machi Koro with instead of just straight up buying things for each number, you're kind of upgrading your abilities for each number. So you always have something you can do, but it's a get coins to be able to buy more cards. And at some point you're going to want to switch your strategy to buying point cards instead of more coin cards, a little bit more complex than that, but not a lot. So if you've ever played a game like Amachi Koro, Space Base is really easy to get into. 
And now that I know how to play it, now uh, Nick is going to bug me to play it on Board Game Arena. So <laughs> I, I suppose I could do that. Uh, the other game that I got a chance to try is Deep Dive. This is a brand new game coming out from AEG. And it's a surprisingly simple press your luck game. It just doesn't look like other press your luck games. Uh, you set up sort of a an ocean, think a little bit like Deep Sea Adventure, except the tiles are just face down, kind of in rows or groups, representing levels of the ocean. You take one of your little penguin guys and you go to the first level, you flip over a tile. You decide, do I want to keep this tile or do I want to keep going deeper and look for a better tile? However, every layer of the ocean has predators. If you run into a predator, your penguin gets stuck and you get nothing that turn. The one advantage to running into a predator is that you can use one of your other penguins and then skip over that level entirely on future turns. I believe there are five depths and obviously your best point values are going to be at the bottom but it also has the highest proportion of predators. So it's really easy to get into and understand. This is one of those where I think the box says 12 plus, but this is definitely an eight plus kind of game. Really interesting. I am really going to look for it at PAX Unplugged and see if I can dive, haha, a little bit <laughs> deeper into it because it's just, it's that great combination of you can understand it right away and then keep finding more strategy and tactics of how to do better next time. And that's Deep Dive. Okay. Who, who did you say make that again? Is that AEG? It's that AEG. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we can check it out at PAX Unplugged, like you said, and uh, we'll see what we can do. So I know you and I both played way more games than that, but I think maybe we leave it at that for now so that this show isn't two and a half hours long. <laughs> Sure, that sounds like a good idea. All right. All right, well, why don't we uh, welcome our new community members before we take a break? How about that? I think we welcome our new community members and make an announcement. Ooh, Ooh announcements. Announcements are exciting. All right, well, I'll get the welcome party started by saying welcome to Tammy. Welcome to Odette. Welcome to Juliana. Welcome to Lynette. Welcome to Melissa. And welcome to Anat. We are so glad that you have joined the community, so much so that you get a cute... What kind of puppy is this guy? I think it's a husky puppy. Oh, my goodness Rolling gracious. a pumpkin rolling around. Rolling a pumpkin. Oh, oh, it might be a, a, a husky dachshund mix because his legs are really short. I don't know. Anyway, it's a super cute puppy in the community. You should go check it out. And if we didn't name you, then head over to that post and say welcome to those that we did name. But now it's time for our announcement. It is. So, oh, boy. Uh... We've been asked before by people who don't like Facebook if we could have a community in a different part of the internet. In a in a different, different, different. Uh, I just you, do you know what they call it in nature when um, a bunch of people are just not agreeing with each other? I do in this d d d different part of the internet. Yeah, yeah. What what is that called? It's called Discord. It's called Discord. Yeah, somebody out there is like woohoo. And most of you are like, whatever, that's fine. We're not really starting our own Discord server. No. Really. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, we kind of are. So what we have done is we have teamed up with Little Big Thumbs, JP Dacos, and we have started up our own special Discord server called 
family tabletop community. And we are bringing in some other awesome and incredible family game related content creators to be included in that community. Board Gaming Mama is going to be part of that. Uh, One Board Family is going to be part of that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have kind of a communal Discord server where there's, what are you playing? Maybe some pictures, some cool family gaming news, you know, stuff that you're doing with your kids, all that stuff that we love. But we're also creating categories. So there's going to be a little Big Thumbs category, a Family Gamers category. There's going to be a Board Gaming Mama category, a One Board Family category. If you want to have conversations that are just kind of like focused on those special things, like in the Family Gamers category, for example, there is a Force Science channel. Of course there is. Uh, Obviously, right? Uh, In the little Big Thumbs, he's got Dexterific, which he says better than I do, but I did my best. So a lot of those things that are really special and particular to our respective channels are still going to be represented there. But look, there's a lot of crossover with our groups, and this is a really great way that we can all get to know each other and just be super friendly and have a great community wrapped around family gaming. So if you want to post stuff and have it be in a more, you know, like static format, like a like a Facebook, you can absolutely still do that. The family gamers community is not going away. Definitely not. Definitely not. But we did want to offer this as well. Working with JP is, I mean, it's just the right way to do it. You know, we didn't want to start up a Discord server and then just be unable to maintain it and have it just kind of languish. Languish. Languish is a great word. Languish is a great word just in general, but it's particularly accurate here. And so by us working with JP to administrate this thing, it's going to remain alive. It's going to remain active. And we are super, super excited to include that link in the show notes to this show. Hey! <laughs> so you should check out the show notes and uh, and head over there. I think we'll also put a link in the community as well. In the Facebook In the Facebook community. Yeah, so. And so we're going to add a little bit of infrastructure around this too. Like you can just take on certain roles. So you only are going to see the channels you want to see and stuff. So it doesn't get too busy, you know, things like that. But, um, you know, stay tuned as we continue to make that a little bit more complex. It should be fun. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the kind of engagement that we have on the Discord platform. All right. I think that's enough for now. I think we need to take a break. Yes, ma'am. We'll be right back. I love fast-playing solo games. They're perfect for taking a few minutes to decompress or filling time while I'm waiting around for my kids at their various activities. If it's small enough that I can tuck it in my pocket and play it on a space as small as a notebook, that's even better. This is a snap preview for Forage, a nine-card solitaire game designed and illustrated by Mark Tuck and published by Sideroom Games. It plays in 10 minutes or less, and the box says ages 14 and up. Forage is the third installment in the Harvesting Trilogy, which also includes Orchard and Grove. So let's talk about the art in Forage. Inside this little telescoping box are 18 cards, 15 custom dice, instructions, and a cute little wooden mouse token. Like the two games that came before it, Every card in Forage is divided into six sections. Three types of brightly colored terrain and foraged food appear on each card. Orangey-brown sweet chestnuts on orange and yellow fallen leaves, tan mushrooms in brown soil, and purpley-blue blackberries on green brambles. 
These same color combinations are on the dice as well as on the cards. The numbering here is unusual. One, three, six, ten, a basket for fifteen, and a mouse for negative two. More on that in a minute. The backs of the cards depict recipe challenges, various dishes and modifiers on a white background, echoing the color scheme used on the front of the cards without copying it exactly. And although we don't use him much, we can't forget this cute little mouse token. His name is Edward Mouse. So how do we play Forage? If you've watched my Grove review, most of this will sound familiar, but watch out for a couple of changes. As with Grove, you'll only use nine cards for a full game. Choose one of them randomly and lay it face up, then draw a hand of two cards from the remaining eight in your deck. Place a card from your hand, overlapping one or more matching terrain types with the cards already on the table. For each food area that overlaps the same terrain type, either place a die or upgrade the existing die in that spot. There is one non-food area on each card, showing two terrain types. These can be placed over an existing die or food spot, but they won't cause a die to be placed or upgraded there. If any area on the new card covers an area that does not match the card below it, you must place a die of the appropriate terrain type with the mouse showing. This die can no longer be overlapped unless you use Edward Mouse. He can be used once per game to scare off a smaller mouse, but he'll subtract five points from your final score. After placing the card and arranging all the appropriate dice, draw a new card and go again. Once all nine cards are on the table, calculate your score by adding up the values on all the dice, then subtract one point for every die that's on a split terrain area instead of a food area, and don't forget to subtract points for every mouse in the wood, too. If beating your high score isn't enough, add the recipe challenge. Pick two cards from the ones that aren't being used for this game. They'll give you a target score to beat, along with two ways to earn bonus points. So what did I expect from Forge? Well, I love Grove, the previous game in this series. It's one of my favorite solo games. I was expecting something similar here, layering cards to upgrade die faces. But Forge should be more than just a new coat of paint. On the other hand, I was hopeful that the rule changes wouldn't make it more complicated. And of course, the rulebook should still be full of delicious puns. So let's talk about what surprised me in the rule changes. Having the option to overlap non-matching areas whenever you want gives a lot more flexibility in Forage. Of course, you're still going to have to place a mouse and lose points when you do that, but sometimes it's worth it. And the reason why it's worth it is because the die values upgrade really rapidly. In Grove, they climb stepwise, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and then 10. But in Forage, it goes back to the pattern that was established in Orchard, the first game, going from 1 to 3 to 6 to 10 to 15. These two aspects combine to make my choices more interesting. I can work out the math to decide if maybe losing two points for a mouse is worth it, if I'm making big jumps on other spaces. The recipes feel a lot like they did in Grove, but there's a nice detail change here that makes it feel a tiny bit more thematic. Your two recipe names sometimes combine to make a description, like Grandma's Pickled Mushrooms, or Award-Winning and Homemade. I highly recommend Forage for solo gamers like me. 
Like Grove, it plays very quickly, and it's small enough that you can bring it almost anywhere. I think I might like it even more than Grove, which was my top game of 2021. Forge is about the same difficulty, but I love that it gives me a little bit more freedom to choose how I place the cards. I'm also loving the autumnal feel of this game. If Forge sounds like your kind of solo game, check it out on Kickstarter today. And that's Forage in a snap. And we're back! Oh yeah! So, Asia mentioned at the top of the show that we're doing something a little bit different with this top 10 games list. This is for kids 7 to 10. And, you know, in the past, we've kind of broken these things down by, like, board game genre. I mean, maybe. It, it's it been a true top 10 of like, these are our 10 favorite games mm. for this age. Mm-hmm. But there's so much more variety when you get to solid elementary school, like this 7 to 10 age range. Like, I wasn't going to do top games for 7-year-olds and top games for 8-year-olds because there's so much more variation here. Well, and not only that, but like at 7 to 10, you're really getting your kids are very interested in certain things. Like, yes, your young children can really like Bluey or or Caillou, haha, <laughs> no, no. Um, or whatever those things might be. But when they get older, they're going to have kind of general appreciations. Like, I like zombie stuff or I like, you know, superhero stuff or dinosaur stuff or uh, whatever those things might be. Disney, I don't know. Also at this age, theme is a super huge driver. You can bring a great game home. And if your kid is not interested in the theme, you are probably not even going to get them to play the first time. Yeah, that's 100% true. And so basically what we're getting at is we picked 10 themes and we are going to make a game recommendation or two in each of those 10 themes. So our top 10 isn't really going to be a top 10. It never really is. But uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to give you 10 themes and then games that kind of correlate with that. Correlate with that theme while staying in this elementary school difficulty range. All right. And, you know, we also had a poll in the Family Gamers community about this, and we were careful to make sure that we incorporated the thoughts of the community as well. Mm-hmm. So thank you to everyone who participated in that poll. We're going to kick this thing off with, honestly, a theme that I don't really care all that much about. Yeah, but, me either. <laughs> uh, but the game is great, and that is Zombies with Zombie Kids Evolution. Yeah, and although we don't really care about this theme... Our kids have been reading books like Diary of a Minecraft Zombie, and they used to love playing the video game Plants vs. Zombies. So Zombie Kids Evolution was a huge hit with our kids. And if your kid has interest in, you know, the non-gory, non-creepy kind of zombie stuff that gets presented to kids, this is an awesome fit. Yeah, Zombie Kids Evolution does a really good job of offering incremental gains to players as well so it's a legacy style game that allows players to put stickers on stuff and when they hit thresholds they earn things and i mean that's what sticker charts are for right yeah right kids really like to get stickers to earn things and so in this zombie theme you have this like more spoopy kind of silly not scary kind of zombie situation going on and kids can keep playing and killing zombies and earning things it's perfect so you can find both Zombie Kids Evolution and also Zombie Teens Evolution, which is very similar, on Amazon, and we have a link to those in the show notes. All right. What about superheroes? I don't think I know a seven or eight-year-old boy, at least, who does not have a favorite superhero that they will 
tell you about at length. Right. And so for this one, we picked Five Minute Marvel. Five Minute Marvel is a great game. Yeah. So Five Minute Marvel is a cooperative timed game. In just five minutes, you are trying to beat a series of Marvel supervillains. <laughs> or henchmen. There's some henchmen. Sometimes there. henchmen. Yep, yep, yep. And you're doing it by using various powers that your superheroes have, represented by cards in a deck. Everybody is trying to flip cards out from their deck and offer cards to other people to meet whatever challenges are coming up. And the superhero theme really worked well for our kids. We went back and tried Five Minute Dungeon later. And Five Minute Dungeon is fine, but Five Minute Marvel really captures this feeling of being a superhero and being a superhero on a team of superheroes. Yeah, it's great because, you know, a henchman or a villain will come out and they'll have a series of symbols on the card and in your hand are cards that represent your powers, which have symbols on them. And so you kind of dedicate your symbol cards to the cards in the middle and you have to work together in order to defeat things. It's it's really just a super smart way to put things together. People feel like they're working together. You defeat, you know, the villains and your goal in five minutes is to make it all the way through the stack of cards that you start with. So you can vary the difficulty level and things like that. It's really smart. There is a very small amount of reading, which I mention only because this is a timed game. So most kids are still going to do fine with this. The little bit of reading you might want to go over ahead of time, or it's the kind of thing that, that they'll learn with repeated plays that, oh, when I see this guy, I know this is what happens. Yeah. I mean, and it's going to depend on this range, right? So a seven-year-old is going to have a harder time reading than a 10-year-old is going to have, right? Um, Generally. And and also, you know, reading competency levels in general. But that's something to just be aware of when you pick up the game. The other game that we kind of wanted to talk about here in this Marvel section is Marvel United. Marvel United, another cooperative game, a little bit more complex than a five-minute Marvel, definitely takes longer, but you are a team of Marvel superheroes playing cards to defeat a villain, basically. There's a ton, a ton of various packs of Marvel United superheroes and villains and stuff that you can find out on the market. But you can pick this game up at a Walmart or a Target for around 20 bucks to get kind of like the base set. And then it's something that you can expand on if you wanted to. Are we ready to move on to theme number three? I think we can do that. Okay. I like theme number three. All right. Theme number three is cute food. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is something that's I've really noticed in the last decade is so totally a thing this like personified food with faces and it's a stuff. very like japanese thing i think right i mean i think it started there but now it's just as american as it, <laughs> i'm sure as it could sure, be sure, sure. but the game we're going to recommend it does tickle at those japanese roots a little bit because our top recommendation in this category is sushi go yeah so this is a legendary game that at this point you can just find for like 10 bucks hanging on a peg at Target, right? The game is so common, it's almost disposable. Sushi Go is a very simple drafting game. Everybody starts with a hand of cards. You pick a card and you pass your cards to the right or the left, whatever way you've agreed on. All the different kind of cards have different scoring mechanics. They all score, except for pudding, at the end of the round. You play, I don't know, three rounds and whoever has the highest score wins. It's pretty easy to understand these kinds of drafting mechanics. They're, they're definitely board gamer mechanics, but they're simple to understand. It's set collection, right? So it's like you want the things yeah. that look the same. Okay, I got it. 
right? Yeah. Some certain cards, like the way putting works, because it's different from everything else, can be a little bit confusing for a first-time player. But even things like Wasabi, the trigger point for Wasabi can be a little bit confusing for people, even though it's just the next thing that you pick. But it's very simple. It's still easy to understand. All the stuff is adorable. You can certainly expand. There's other games in the Sushi Go series, like Sushi Go Party or Sushi Roll. So mm-hmm. if people really like, if your kids really like those games, there's other opportunities there. It's inexpensive to get into. It's all around a legendary game at this point. There's also the new um, Sushi Go Spin Sum for Dim Sum, which might actually be a better choice for the younger part of this age range. But since I haven't played it, we can't recommend it. We just don't know enough about it. I just think that Sushi Go is so available and so inexpensive. I mean, it's almost an impulse purchase, right? If you're looking for something in this range. As we get closer to the holiday season, it's certainly something that will fit in a stocking. Yes. So I'm going to level with you. This would not have been my first pick. But so many people talked about it in the Family Gamers community of how this was a great game that they play or played with their seven, eight, nine-year-olds that I felt compelled to put it in here. I'm going to level with you. I negotiated for this to be the top pick. Yes, it is also <laughs> it is also Andrew pushing me for it. My top choice would actually be Abandon All Artichokes. I feel like that is a simpler game to learn. So I agree that both of these games belong at the top of this list. They also both fit in a stocking. I'm just going to throw that out there. (laughs) But I think that set collection makes more sense to someone who doesn't play a bunch of games than deck building does or deck wrecking as the game right team likes to call abandoned all artichokes. I just think that even though Sushi Go might be a slightly more complex game when you step back and look at everything with an analytical mindset, I think that the non-board gaming mind will understand the concepts of set collection a little bit better. Maybe, but again, we're talking about seven to 10 year olds. So I've definitely watched kids that age start to do Sushi Go, understand that they need to collect sets of stuff and then get bogged down by not understanding how the scoring works, especially because everything is hidden in Sushi Go. Abandon all artichokes, your goal is super clear. It's literally in the name of the game. You're getting rid of the artichokes out of your deck. Mm-hmm. And every card that comes up is public knowledge at first. Like, eventually you'll take it into your deck and then, you know, it'll be, oh, did it come out in your hand this time or not? And people won't necessarily know. But everything starts out in the market, which is public knowledge. So you don't ever have to wonder, oh, hey, is there something else that I haven't seen that somebody else is going to play? Or, wait, how does this thing work again? Because it's all there and Abandon All Artichokes puts the text on the cards of what they do. It's not trying to be language independent like Sushi Go is. Yeah, I think this is just kind of where your mind is versus where my mind is on this one. I think they're both winners and I think you can get both of them for 25 bucks total. Yeah, I mean, really, we recommend just getting both. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) And finding out which one your kid likes. Yeah, I think the, uh, you know, price wise, Sushi Go is going to be a cheaper point uh, of entry just because it's been around so much longer. Yeah, but they're both excellent. They're both very much worth the value. And you can find both of them at a lot of places. So there you go. Honorable mention, Go Nuts for Donuts is also great and also very accessible. It, once again, has an entirely different mechanic of how you get cards and what you do with them. But it's also a set collection game. It's just not a drafting game like Sushi Go. All right. Next one. This is our daughter's favorite category ever. And this is Dragons. Yeah, we have multiple games that we're discussing on this one. And 
we've seen so many dragon games over the years that I do feel like this is a theme that could get a little overplayed. So I do really want to recommend, hey, here are a couple of games that are great that have dragons in them. Sure. Because we've seen some stinkers. Yeah. And the first one uh, is a very simple game, and that is Suro. Yeah. So again, this is one that was recommended highly by our community. Suro, because it is really simple to learn, can be great for any age. I mean, you. everybody starts with their dragon on the edge of the board, and the goal is don't die. <laughs> really like and so you're picking out tiles you're putting them down on the board and extending paths and every time you extend a path a dragon is on the dragon then goes to the end of that path whether it's your dragon or somebody else's dragon yep incredibly basic and you're just trying to stay alive the longest but it's also gorgeous oh it is beautiful and for kids who love dragons that's gonna be a big draw of Mm -hmm. like wow this is so pretty and i get to hold these pieces and my dragon is gonna you know sail right next to your dragon and all of that is great. You do get those good, you know, kind of group woes when, you know, somebody puts a tile down and a bunch of stuff moves and then somebody potentially dies and, you know, all that stuff is fun. Really enjoy Suro. If you're looking for something a little different feeling than Suro, uh, we've got two other options. If you want really cute dragons that's appropriate for, like, the younger end of this range, this 7 to 10 year old range, we still recommend the Tea Dragon Society card game, which is a very basic deck building game. The instructions are very straightforward. It's almost the opposite of abandon all artichokes. You can't ever get rid of stuff out of your deck. And so that makes it easier to understand. And it's so cute. It's so super cute. It's very, very adorable. I definitely think that Tea Dragon Society fits on that low end, that seven, maybe eight-year-old range. It is an incredibly simple deck builder. And... I think that even at 10, it might be too simple for some people. Yeah, that's true. Definitely on the younger end of the range. However, this last game in the dragon section is Dragonwood, which is a fantastic game for any age that we're talking about right now. So 7 to 10, even adults can play this game. It's pretty fun. I think we also recommended this for six-year-olds with the caveat that it not every six-year-old is going to be able to do it. Maybe, maybe. So in Dragonwood, you are collecting sets of these attacking cards and you are looking to play them out as flushes, as straights, or as sets of like three of a kind or whatever. And what happens when you play these cards, it allows you to roll uh, some dice and you are attacking different monsters. Different monsters have basically different like hit points for the different kinds of sets. So like the of a kind is a stomp. And the straight is a clap and or a shout. And then the flush is a strike, strike or something. I, think, I don't remember. Yeah. It doesn't matter. They're different kinds of attacks. And each monster has different like levels of defense or hit points or whatever for each one of them. And so you're doing some strategic planning to figure out, well, if I use a strike on this first monster then, you know, it's going to be more, you know, defensive. But if I do that on the second monster, the second monster, that's its weakest thing. So I'm going to attack that one, right? And so the whole goal of this game is to defeat, I think there's the green dragon and the red dragon. And you need to defeat both of them. And once they're dead, whoever has the most points wins. But it's a really nice secretive set collection game until you play that set out in order to use it to roll dice. And there's a little bit of light strategy in it as well. It's really good. Yeah, this is the kind of game where once your kids get into it, they will be able to play it over and over again. And it won't exactly grow with them, but they'll grow with it. They'll see more strategy in it as they get older and play it more. So in Dragonwood, you are 
trying to beat down the dragons among other forest monsters. But what if you want to be a giant monster? Oh, yeah. So there's a game where you get to be giant monsters, and it also involves rolling dice just like Dragonwood. That game is King of Tokyo. There's also King of New York, but everybody pretty much agrees that King of Tokyo is better. So yeah, we're going to go so with, stick King, with of King of Tokyo. Yep. King of Tokyo is a brawling game with giant kaiju monsters. So if any of that sounds like what your kids like, this is the game for you. In King of Tokyo, everybody plays as a giant kaiju monster, and your goal is to hit 20 points. The main way you get points is by staying in control of Tokyo. You, you stomp on into Tokyo and you wait it out there. The problem is when you're in Tokyo, everybody else can attack you. And if you lose all your hit points, you'll get eliminated from the game and just lose. So you're constantly playing this game where you go into Tokyo for a while to get some points, but then you have to leave Tokyo to heal up. Then, you know, as you're going around and doing this, you can acquire these power cubes, which you can turn into buy upgrades, which might be one time use things like heal five points or whatever, or they could be ongoing powers. And it's this constant dance of trying to get into the middle and, and get the victory points that you need in order to be able to win the game. Uh, versus preventing other people from doing it and or just beating them down until they're dead. Yeah, exactly. This has got a nice balance in it of if you've got a kid who just, I want to attack stuff, King of Tokyo can work well. But once again, as they get more familiar with it, they'll start to recognize that their strategy there of sometimes I want to be in Tokyo and actually let myself get attacked. Sometimes I want to bow out of Tokyo and do something else for a while so that I can, you know, marshal my resources and do other things to be ready to win mm -hmm. by the way this game also kind of works if your kids are wrestling fans it just has some of that same energy yeah it totally does yeah so almost like tag team wrestling kind of i mean yeah. without the tagging part right but you're definitely jumping out and just kind of letting other people fight for a while yeah and then jumping back in again yeah so that is category number five we're halfway there halfway and you know sometimes when you're halfway there you're living on a prayer. No, that's not where I'm going with that one. <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh, sometimes you have to measure your uh, your success when you're halfway. Maybe if you kind of want to wager a little bit on whether or not uh, success is going to be completed at the oh end. Maybe goodness. you take an assessment halfway. Well, you don't like my uh, my horrible segue? <laughs> anyway. What game are you talking about, Andrew? Sometimes you bet when you're racing, and sometimes that game is called Downforce. So... We're going to talk about Downforce as a car racing game. There's a lot of really good car racing games out there. There's, you know, Monza for the younger ones. Heat is all the rage these days for older kids and adults. But right there, smack dab in the middle, is Downforce. Downforce has a bunch of expansions with, you know, Wild Ride and Danger Circuit. It's a fantastic racing game where the goal of the game is actually to purchase some cars and then get the cars that you want to win to win. Hopefully they're your cars, but they don't even necessarily have to be as long as you're betting on the winners. So yes, so be aware that this game does involve betting, but it is at its heart still a racing game. It's got a fair bit of strategy in it, but most of that will become clear right away because the way you move cars is by playing out cards from your hand, and most cards will move multiple cars. So you start thinking about like, oh, well, I really want to move my car, but the only options I have left for that are also going to move these cars. Can I block one of them so they can't move? Or can I do something in a slightly different order so that maybe I play this card next turn? It's really cool. It's got all these layers to it. But at its heart, 
this is a game that seven and eight year olds can play pretty easily. Um, I might remove the betting at first and just do the car racing part until they get that down. But this is the kind of game that will grow with kids and they'll probably still enjoy it as adults. I know that our reviewer, Corey, very much does. And so do we. Mm -hmm. All right. Speaking of games that we really enjoy, Anitra, I'm going to hand this one off to you because I know that you love this game in our seventh category, which is city building. Well, so part of this is I love this category of game. We called it city building because I don't really know how else to portray this, but the idea that you're building up something that's yours and it's not anybody else's. And at the end of the game, you can look at what you made and be like, I did that. There are lots of games that do this well. There are several games that do this well for this age range. But my recommendation is Happy City. Happy City is a card-based tableau building game, city building game. It only lasts about eight rounds. And you're pretty much looking at what you're building and not spending a whole lot of attention on what other people are building. So for all of that, I really like it with this kind of theme and feel. It has a little bit of reading, but you've got plenty of time for it. And once again, it's an open game, so all of the cards can be read by anybody. And even if you lose, you have that feeling of achievement at the end of the game of this is the city I built. I'm suggesting this over something like King Domino, which is also a great game, because we suggest King Domino for younger kids. Younger kids can't handle something like Happy City as much. Seven to 10 year olds definitely can. I completely agree with you. It's a very fun game and it is happy. Like the art in this game just kind of makes you smile, right? Like nothing about it is dour or, you know, dark in any way. It's just nice. It's almost like Richard Scary quality. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I could totally see that. You're just building this very cute little. It's not even big enough to be a city, really. You've got 10 cards, each of which has one building on it. Mm -hmm, So let's think of it like a little downtown main street (laughs) (laughs) all right in some small town i could sign up for that (laughs) all right our next category i mean this is our youngest this kid cannot stop moving he he you you can't get the wiggles out of him you can't right I, i mean you can but usually once the wiggles are out of him then he's asleep well that's okay sure you can knock him unconscious to get the wiggles out but For a game for kids who need to move, they need to get up, they need to walk around the table, they need to look at things from different angles, we picked Ice Cool. Ice Cool is a game that requires you to get up and move around the table. I mean, you could be really lazy, but you're basically, you know, costing yourself success in the game. I don't know, man. I cannot reach one end of this board if I'm (laughs) sitting at the other end of the board. Creativity. So Ice Cool is a game where you are flicking your penguin around this cardboard school that you construct from the box. You're collecting fish, and you're also kind of playing tag with your fellow student penguins. Mm -hmm. But you can do more than that. You can pump up your game and make it more interesting with things like trick shots or variations where you're just racing around the board and not even worrying about collecting fish and all of that. This is great for kids who need to move And it gives you those kind of stretch goals of like, oh man, if only I could figure out how to do a shot where my penguin will curve around and actually go through multiple doors. Or is it valid if I flick my penguin so that they jump over a wall? Yes, it is valid. Are you able to do that? Maybe. Give it a shot. (laughs) It's also got a little bit of that set collection element that 
most kids are really going to enjoy. You know, you're getting something for what you're doing. You're not just racing around the board. It's really cool. We like it. If this sounds cool and you want even more of it, then buy both Ice Cool and Ice Cool 2, which you can combine together to make giant layouts. And if you use both games, you can accommodate up to eight players at a time, which is ridiculous. Yeah, and the board is enormous. And there's even certain board combinations that are in the book, the manual, that if you're using both sets, like every turn, a room in the middle of the board like slides, slides back, back and, and forth, forth, which is super cool. <laughs> yes. So, yep. Um, our recommendation, if you're only going to get one, is actually to get Ice Cool 2. The plastic fish clips do a slightly better job of holding the boxes together, but they're otherwise almost identical. Mm-hmm. This is just a great game for kids who need to move And it's not about stacking something or being really still or, you know, very gently pulling a stick out of Kerplunk or (sighs) Gokuku. It uses both gross motor movements and fine motor movements. And it's a great combination for kids like ours who just need to move. All right. Two more kids. You ready? All All right. right. Next one. It's Disney. I mean, it's just, it's Disney. Every kid... In the world from 1 to 99, deserves to watch a Disney movie now and again. And there's some fantastic board games that also use Disney intellectual property. We are going to talk about three of them in varying levels of depth. The first one we're going to talk about is Codenames Disney. So this is exactly what you would expect. It is Codenames with a Disney theme on it. This is great for all ages. Uh, You can play it with all pictures. You can play it with pictures and words. You can do a mix, whatever. But every single card is Disney themed and there's no assassins. So there's no like instant failure mode in Codenames Disney. Codenames, of course, an incredibly popular game. This is a game that's almost as disposable as Sushi Go (laughs) at this point. But this Disney themed version is really sure to get those kids that can't be bothered to pay attention to anything except for every single scene from every single Disney movie that's ever been made, somehow. Somehow. <laughs> they know all 25 princesses or what, however many Whatever there are it is. now. Yeah. Right. But, you know, th- this is a good way to get them to think about similarities and differences and things like that. So we highly recommend Codenames Disney. That is good for all ages. The next two are also Disney games, but they are better for kind of the older end of this age range and the first one is disney sorcerers arena epic alliances that is quite a mouthful it is a bit of a mouthful so disney sorcerers arena was a like an app like a you know a mobile game that was just different disney characters kind of fighting with each other and disney sorcerers arena epic alliances is something very similar but it's on a board there's kind of a combat arena you have I think three Disney characters on your side. There's a whole collection of these characters, both in the base box and in the, I think, four expansions now, maybe only three. But you choose three characters that are your team, and then you and your opponent are going back and forth, round robin style, with your characters moving them on the board, using their special abilities, and just trying to attack each other. You don't ever actually kill the other characters, but you kind of knock them out of the arena, which gives you victory points. And so the goal of this game is not to kill everybody else, but it is to get enough victory points to come out as the winner. Part of the reason we recommend this is because in addition to being well-themed with all of the Disney stuff, I mean, all of the characters really do 
fit what they're doing very well. It also has multiple modes and ways to play. And the sort of introduction mode to this is perfect for a seven or eight year old. And then as they get used to this game and look at the characters and go, wow, this is really cool. And I want to use this guy more. And why are there these extra powers? Then they're going to drive it forward and say, I want to know how to play more, which is really what you want from introducing a theme first game to your kid. Mm -hmm. Start simple and let them say, this is so cool and I want more. Speaking of things that are so cool and people want more, if you have kids that like Pokemon or uh, Yu-Gi-Oh or any of those collectible trading card games, we have to mention Disney Lorcana, which was released this year from Ravensburger. It is currently sold out, but they're actively reprinting more of it. It is a collectible card game. It is a battling game, just like a Pokemon or a Yu-Gi-Oh or a Magic the Gathering or something like that. But it is all Disney themed. It is already extremely popular and completely sold out in most places. So there's going to be a lot of support for Lorcana in the future. This is on the upper end of our 7 to 10 range. And this is a game that your kids can continue to play as they get older and as they get older. We honestly can't say a whole lot about it yet, but it's so hot right now that we have to at least mention it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Anitra, number 10. All right. Our last theme bucket is everything else. Is exactly that, a theme bucket. (laughs) Yeah. However, this is one where we're going to beat our drum over and over and over again. We love Similo. It's fantastic. Similo is great even for younger kids than this, but there are so many themes and options for Similo that you are sure to find one that's going to grab your kid's attention. We have one kid who loves Greek mythology. They have a Greek mythology set. We had a kid who really loved Harry Potter. They have two different Harry Potter sets. Mm -hmm. The regular and the Fantastic Beasts set. There's also Lord of the Rings. There's also Spookies, which is a, let's say, gently like Halloween ghosty kind of theme. And fables and history and wild animals. And, 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 and. And And they're always coming out with more. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to keep beating this drum. This is an awesome game. It is once again a very inexpensive game. You can get it for about $10. It is totally worth grabbing a copy in a theme that you think your kid would like. Yet another excellent stocking stuffer. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it might end up on our holiday gift giving list. All right. What? That, Again? <laughs> that is the end of our list. What do you think, Anitra? It's a much more comprehensive (laughs) list, but there's so much that we left off. Yes. And if you want to tell us what you think we left off and definitely should have been in our top 10-ish games for ages 7 to 10, you should tell us either in our Facebook community or in the new Discord community. Yeah, and we'll give you all those details in a minute. But first, we need to talk about that contest that we've been talking about for the One last two thing. months. One more thing, yes. One more thing. All right. So we have been talking about our contest for the last bit. Thank you to everybody who entered by leaving us a written review on Apple Podcast or and Google app yes. podcast thing or Spotify or Overcast or whatever those things might be. We really do appreciate those. Anitra did yeoman's work today cobbling all of those things together, entered everything into the random number generator of doom and and came up with a number. Our winner is 
Judah Weinstein. Congratulations to Judah. We will be reaching out to you to get your information to send over to Mark at the Grand Gamers Guild, who generously sponsored this contest. Judah will be winning a complete set of the 18-card amazing holiday hijinks escape room games. Thanks so much to everybody who entered. It is now too late to enter the contest, but we would still love it if you would go and leave us a written review on Apple Podcast. It or makes wherever a huge difference. You get your podcasts. Yes. All right, the Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash family gamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. All right, Andrew. It's time to go through the list. It's time to go through the list. All of the places that you can find us on the internet. Well, the easiest thing to do is go to most of the social media channels and look for at Family Gamers A. A for Andrew and Anitra. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it. You can find us on Threads. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on TikTok. You can find us on YouTube. And if you want to find us on Discord, go to thefamilygamers.com forward slash Discord. All right. All right. Whew. Don't forget, by the way, we mentioned the Family Gamers community on Facebook. You can go to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community, or you can just go to Facebook and search for the Family Gamers community mm-hmm. to welcome our new community members and say hi. Of course, you can email us. If none of that stuff works for you, I, yep, you can always, always email us. Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. Those emails are in the show notes of every single episode. Yes, they are. Of course... We are squarely into hoodie weather. I'm actually wearing a hoodie right now. Me too. So if you would like to pick up a Family Gamers hoodie, they're pretty awesome. You can check those out. There's t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, tote bags, whatever, at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. There's tank tops if you live somewhere where it stays warm until November. Yeah. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you like what you're hearing. Tell your friends about the podcast. Please, please, please. And as we mentioned, it's too late for the contest, but it's never too late to leave a written review or a rating or whatever at Apple Podcast and all of the other podcast subscription sources. All right. Well, Anisha, this has been a great show looking at this top 10 list. You know, we're going to do an interview show in a couple of weeks, and then I think we're going to be back and we're going to be talking about our holiday gift guide. Can you believe it is already almost that time? I mean, it's going to be almost a month from now, so that seems like an appropriate time for a holiday gift guide. That's how it works. That's how it works. So between this week and that next podcast in a couple more weeks, there's going to be a lot of stuff that you can buy this holiday season. So until then, everybody, play Play games games with with your your kids. kids.